Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. Join us for episode 100 with Jim Bob Williams, Katie B, and our returning special guest, Izzy Gazelle. Yay! Two, one. Welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I'm Jim Bob Williams. And I'm Katie B. And we are here with our special guest, Izzy Gazelle. Yeah. Yay! Some of you may remember Izzy from the episode 27 of Laugh Box, where he appeared with Chip Lutz. But that was, oh my goodness, that was November 2017. That's 3 BC, right? Three years before COVID. Nice. So we thought it was a time to refresh the information because Izzy's into a lot of good and groundbreaking stuff. And uh, this is, uh, ADK, do you have to realize this is a very important holiday for me and Izzy? Because we both grew up in Brooklyn, and it's Henny Youngman's birthday. So yes, and I I honor that important day that today is, and am honored to be on here but with you both. I, uh, if I will jump in for a quick, one of the Henny Youngman's jokes is a joke I use when I teach um, about humor and comedy writing about how. Um, the ability to shift people's perspective is used. And he one of his jokes is the one I use. Would you like to hear it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I went to the racetrack, and the horse I bet on was so slow, the jockey kept the diary of the trip. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and so, Izzy, Will you please tell us an updated version of yourself for today, five years later, six years later than your last <laughs> podcast interview? Uh, well, nothing much has changed. I got up a couple of days. I had this COVID thing. When I, in, in the last six years, I've gone from um, being mostly a keynote speaker and a facilitator to now a um, facilitator and uh, keynote speaker on Zoom, what really has uh, occupied my interest is the evolution of the application of improv and humor principles into daily life. COVID was a boom for us in that we had to recognize that you have to deal with what you get which is one of the, the the main focuses of humor. You know, I mean, those of us who work with helping people expand their sense of humor uh, understand that it's really just about pay attention to what's going on and then look at it from different points of view. Uh, in improv, and, and what what's boomed is this field called applied improv, which is the application of improv theater principles to daily living, dealing with the unexpected, uh, acceptance versus agreement, being able to get along with other people, uh, laughing at difficult situations, um, taking yourself seriously and yourself lightly, uh, play playfulness, uh, all of those things. Uh, so that's really what's what I've been 
uh, up to uh, working on 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 writing and and developing some games. And the nice thing is that Zoom has connected me with people all around the world. So we have some humor and play partners in all different time zones. The 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 follow the the following has come, I believe, from my focus on developing a community of practice and giving people ideas about um, how to apply the things that we talked about, improv and humor, for their own personal development and their own um, uh, connection to others. And it just attracted people who, um, I mean, I work with the soft skills. And the nice thing about my work is uh, I don't have a particular niche or job uh, category that uh, if it's human, I've worked as so I've done engineers. I just did yesterday uh, auditors. Um, uh, next week, I'm going to be doing hospital employees. And I think, uh, Jim Bob, what, what, what I realized is that because I believe this is my mission and my purpose, and I'm having a good time doing it, and I'm interested in the how it works piece for my own self and self-development, I think that it just attracts people who uh, want to be around this idea and to be able to use it. It's the same, I would just say it's the same way with AATH that attracts people who understand if they don't uh, understand right away, that that humor is not just about joke telling, that it's really a way of being, and I think that's what what this combination of the work that I do uh, attracts uh, a new way of being. Improv is all about restrictions, yeah, tour games and so forth. So the gift of restriction is creativity. So um, auditors are always restricted. They're restricted by budgetary. They're restricted by legal. They're restricted by silos in the different companies. So how do they manage to both stay grounded and, and real and yet flexible enough to deal with sometimes their high status? You know, people come to them, they have to have some money available. Sometimes they're low status, they're, they're not the mayor, they're not elected. So that's an improv lesson as you learn. Uh, improv is always about uh, the balance between following and leading. When it's your turn, you're the leader. Everybody has to go along with what you say. When it's somebody else's turn, you're the follower. You have to go along with what they say. And that balance is very difficult. But once you understand how to do it, and yes, and is one way to do that, then you're able to stay balanced in an unbalanced world. That's what I, that, that, that's what I offer them. That's beautiful. Uh, I was an environmental compliance auditor. And I found that when I, when I walked into the room as the auditor, sometimes I had high status because the grade I gave might determine somebody's bonus for that year, if I'm sorry. Uh, so I'd always try to start off with, with a joke, mm -hmm. try to hit them out of left field, try to uh, put some incongruity in there. It says, yes, we're here for a very serious topic to review the records to determine if we're in compliance. But that doesn't mean we can't have fun while we're doing it. Yeah, no. We can laugh at the situation without laughing at individuals. Exactly. And that humanizes you, which makes a better chance at having a relationship where they understand your professionalism and don't blame you. He's <laughs> <laughs> just the messenger. There is, you know, there is a, 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 a reality about shooting the messenger because they're the closest to the bad news. So you're right. Yeah, starting with 
lightening up the audience or or, or lightening up the atmosphere. It's, uh, it, it's really about both humor and improv are about energy management. It, it, it's very much about, you know, so when you're walking in, Jim Bob, as, as the auditor, people are afraid because they know they're not perfect. They may have made mistakes or they're afraid that they had didn't comply exactly right. So they're tense and tight. The laughter releases the tension, which right away makes them more open to curiosity. Okay, I'm still afraid, but let me see. Maybe I don't need to be afraid of everything because this guy seems to be okay. See that you have written a book and one of my questions is, do you have a new book out? But I see a book, uh, The Resilient Caregiver. Yes. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, to answer the previous question, I do have a new book out, which we, um, The Resilient Caregiver comes from, uh, I think this, the, the subtitle is The Importance of, of Humor and Play for, for Caregivers. Um, I'm a cancer survivor. What I realized, um, I think in my blurb, I said once I got cancer as a, as a humorist, I um, was sort of forced to take my own advice by telling everybody, you know, you look at the humor in any situation. One of the things I realized as I began doing uh, cancer survivor programs, which I still do, was, was that a lot of energy, money, and focus is on the medical side, the people who are sick. Not a lot, if any, well, not a lot is given to the caregivers. Um, and, and my concept was that um, cancer affects everybody. And, and you know, the, the, the cancer centers will have uh, social workers and they'll have a, a room where you can go and read and video and have some support groups. But there's not a lot of ongoing training to this is going to change your whole life. Uh, and because most of the caregivers, in my experience, have been female women. Uh, there's more of a tendency to accept that role with as without question. So part of my mission really became uh, to encourage people to understand how to bring in lightness into the darkness that is the cancer diagnosis. And so the book is is about resilience, that humor, the the, the skills of humor, um, how humor works, um, how to bring humor out. I, I developed a humor profile that I have people to to pay attention to if they wanted to. Uh, what did you laugh at when you were younger? Was there a time when you were sad and somebody made you happy? Was there a time that someone else was sad you made them happy? Um, how do you how do you evidence your sense of humor without saying anything, which is about wearing maybe a pin or a, a quote on your desk or uh, in in the house? So the the resilient caregiver is, uh, a push towards having caregivers recognize the skill of humor is attainable and the implementation of humor into their their life is a great is, is a benefit to everybody that's beautiful and congratulations for being a survivor thank you for years. for being here yeah thanks. and uh and so what is your new book the new book is called instructional moments using applied improv uh, for facilitation, how uh, so it's 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 a small book. It's ten games, and it's a little bit of a background in what applied applied improv is, and uh, instructions and debrief questions for for ten games. So whether you run a a, a team, a group, um, a scout troop, a church organization, these are ten quick games anybody can play, 
And the option is for some questions that if you want to go deeper in, in, into it, because again, the way people play is the way they are in real life. So you can help people recognize their behavior by having them observe how they play. Sounds great. Okay, so when did you know that you were going to make humor a part of your life? I, st uh, I was a special ed teacher in New York. And then, uh, but I, I wanted to be a stand-up comic. So I went to the new school in New York and studied comedy writing, uh, which is not that different than stand than being a special ed teacher. Stand-up comedy and, and, and teaching are very similar. They're both individuals on a platform, a stage, a floor, trying to hold the attention of multiple levels of interest for people who don't necessarily want to be there um, and who have an uh, antagonistic slash connective approach to you it's almost like it, you're humorous you know if, if you come to a, a conference and you're the speaker chances are very likely that somebody's going to come up to you and said you're the humorous you better be funny because the, once you say you're funny or, or, or you're touted as, as as humorous people expect stuff um, so so what happened when i was studying um comedy writing was i began to for some reason understand why comedy was so important in, in 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 not only in entertainment but in the world uh jokes at at at, at um uh, serious situations where relationships uh workplace you know it's really about that energy between people laughing is a key part of the relationship uh, laughing at the wrong place makes you a bad person because that your timing is off so I, I really got into it as a topic and I studied it. I, you know, I, I looked at the history of it. All, all cultures have some form of fool, jester, clown, coyote, trickster, name it. There, there's a need in, in, in society for someone to tell truth to power or, or recognize the truth we, 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 we are afraid of. This is, the emperor has no clothes as an example of that. Humor is a, is a broader example of that. Absolutely. And I, I have to just pipe in just for a second and say, uh, I'm a professional clown. And my clown is based on the Hopi native tradition of what a clown does. Mm -hmm. So thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate that. Jim Bob, you got another question? Well, just uh, for full disclosure, I want to point out I met Izzy uh, during during COVID. Uh, saw your uh, a presentation to the Applied Improvisation Network on your uh, prostate cancer experience. And oh, it came yeah. just at a time when I had been recently diagnosed. All right. And uh, you you have helped me reframe the situation. Oh, that that, that, that makes me feel good. Thanks, Jimbo. Yeah, so, and, and you, the thing that amazes me about you when I look at some of the work in some of your presentations programs, you're terrific at synthesizing, seeing the commonalities and different Mm -hmm. endeavors bringing them together to one coherent uh hold on so um so what you've, you've spoken on a number of controversial topics too right so tell, tell us about sex about sex yeah i can tell you a, a, about intimacy okay um i do have a program i think the reason i said i i did put together a program for couples many years ago uh, called Intimate Improv for Lovers. And the 12 people who came thought it was about um, uh, sex techniques. 
um, what I've done for um, for relationships uh, uh, is uh, really to see romance and, and 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 sensuality and relationships as a creative art. Uh, so if you think about uh, things like role playing, if you think about make believe fantasy, if you think about uh, let's try this. Th these are all improv ideas. The challenge is that things th that it's hard to ask for something in an intimate situation, and it's also hard to receive an answer you don't want or expect. So if you say, "Hey, let's try this," and they go, "Oh no, look, shut down." Uh, so if you can develop, if, if you play improv games regularly, you can learn to to be able to um and and to def not deflect but necessarily to change the impact in the same way that if you go to relationship counseling you, chances are you will be told um if you have a difference of opinion uh before you launch into here's what where you're wrong and i'm right do something like is this a good time to talk because i have a serious uh, subject and if the person says yes you can do it if they say no okay let's reschedule so essentially what that is, is a consent question. Improv is all about consent. The yes and is a consent to accept what you're given and build. So in, in sex, it's a consent thing where I want to do this with you. Do you want to do this with me? And if I'm doing something that you think I'm going to be doing, but I'm not doing, let me know. So there's something in the improv piece that um, allows for both vulnerability and curiosity. You know, um, so, and, and then the idea is, is, is a, uh, about role-playing. If, if you think, oh, I don't wanna do that, that's yucky. Because I, what if I can't do it? What if I am embarrassed? Those are the same questions people ask about improv. I'm not gonna volunteer because what if I can't do it? What if I'm embarrassed by my thing? So you develop an ability to step up authentically and not have to be perfect. Working together, that opens up a lot. And one of my prostate um, programs was for couples who have had to move beyond erection-dependent sex. 15, 20 years ago, I was writing a, a blog for a while called uh, a Sexual Abundance, um, Moving Beyond Erection-Dependent Sex, which was for for originally for couples, but I learned a lot about, <laughs> let's say, <laughs> the who blames who for what <laughs> when it comes to things like that. So I think the improv piece, as well as the humor piece, there's the difference, you know, with the Woody Allen joke, if you have, the best form of birth control is for a female to look at a naked male and go, <laughs> you know, so it's laughter birth control um, <laughs> by pointing at it uh, for the radio viewers. Uh, the idea is 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 that the laughter, if you can laugh together at at a misstep, at a fumble, uh, if you can laugh at your imperfections, then you have a stronger relationship, and that means that you're willing to take some risks and be vulnerable uh, about that. Um, and then the final piece I would just say in terms of this, the the romance, the sexuality, you're much more open to try stuff. You know, uh, and these are the, there's so much available knowledge and information that uh, about um, toys and techniques and tools. Uh, 
it, it's it, it's really the hard part is getting over your defensiveness and your fear uh, of being imperfect and doing that together through improv builds that character. Yeah, curiosity, I think, is is a key word for just about any life issue. You know, yes. if we can stay curious. Steve, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs said, stay curious. And to me, that's just the biggest life lesson in the world. Uh, the elephant in the room is laughter. Yes. I'd love to hear about it. Elephant in the room is laughing is the name of my program about humor in the workplace. So the idea of, of that program is to teach people the many ways that humor exists in an organization in relationships and the many ways that people use it. So the angry people use sarcasm. That's the weapon. The um, the unconfident, introverted people might use self-deprecating humor to shield themselves and keep them away. The um, uh, the positive people will use the connective humor to reach out in relationships and laugh together. You build form even within an organization. Uh, if we're on a team and and we we know there's some silly thing going on, uh, we're laughing together. But if the boss comes into the room, we'll stop laughing because there's a recognition that they see things differently. Um, and then uh, there's the 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 person in the organization who's always making wisecracks or jokes as a deflector. You can't be serious with this person because they don't take anything seriously. And they go, oh, I was just kidding. Well, just kidding doesn't mean I didn't mean what I said. Or just kidding doesn't mean that I don't have an ulterior motive. Um, uh, so that's the that's the, the essence of the elephant in the room is laughing to get people to understand that there's all kinds of humor uh, and, and that the targeted humor, the, what we're going through now these days is very much related to um, who's the target and what happens when you do target someone. And we're in a situation in the world where sometimes you're a little too defensive and sometimes uh, you're not defensive enough. And the point is, if you understand humor, if you understand the many intricacies that it plays in the society that is your family or your your co your, your government, your, your you can say like like we we this is something that came up many years ago. It was always the fault of the target and who didn't get it. People would say, "Oh, I was just kidding." She doesn't have a sense of humor. Now that's changed, where many organizations will have an "ouch" button if you, if anyone says something that is um, uh, painful or hurtful, or we have the 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 cultural agreement to say "ouch." And and I say okay, I I didn't mean to, to to offend, but I get it that you're offended. I'll cut off. So that comes from understanding how humor impacts people, not just how it makes people laugh. And we're almost on the other side now because of the the world that we live in, um, because people are so uh, separated and so narrow in their uh, what's good, what's bad that things that, that humor, which has always been a victim of um, rigid thinking. Uh, that's what we have now. If you look at the countries and, and the world where humor is um, can be a life-threatening uh, concept for you. And here it's, it could certainly be a career-wrecking con uh, concept uh, for you, or certainly a friendship-wrecking um, concept. So I think we're, we're sort of at the other side. And there's no simple answer. 
um, but recognizing what humor is is for you and that it has many levels so it's i think the work that that aath does and and i do and the people like us is very important what about um your program becoming lighthearted how has that changed before during and after covid if at all more people more people are open to it because they're so oppressed by the uh, fact that nobody knows what the heck's going on nobody knows the government doesn't know the scientists don't know your neighbor doesn't know of course the guy down the road knows because he saw it on facebook but nobody else knows <laughs> <laughs> you know so so there, there's a i think a, a closer understanding that humor has the survival instinct the survival thing for us look we can't we have to make these life-threatening decisions uh, about vaccination, not vaccination, going to the party, not going to the party, being stuck here, trying to relate to my family that I used to get eight, at least eight hours away from it every day. Um, humor can help me, you know, help me regain balance, can help me re release tension, the physicality, the impossibility of laughter and tension to exist in your body at the same time is a key COVID learning. You know, and and you know the laughter yoga people know. You know that you can stand in front of a mirror and just laugh for no reason. Your body thinks it's funny, and you just re release that tension. So I think people are more connected to it, and they also recognize that even in the midst of serious, more recognition in the midst of serious situations, a lightheartedness doesn't mean a disrespect. How does becoming lighthearted? and laughing in the mirror translate to someone dealing with cancer today? When you're worried about what the tests are gonna say or what the doctor's gonna say, or you're gonna to have to go through a procedure and you know it's gonna be difficult, you have no control over that. What you have control over is the next minute, the next two minutes. So you can stand in front of the mirror and close your eyes and think of something that really brings you joy. It could be a person, it could be a situation, it could be a, a memory, because to your memory, an emotion is as real as the actual event. So if you remember a, 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 a happy time, you can just think back there, close your eyes, and you're, you're back there for a minute. And the fact that the tension goes out of your body means that you then have the question, this, this is the, the point of becoming lighthearted, Stress is a very na narrowing uh, mindset. You're trying to fix something. What humor allows you to do is release, release the tension so you can ask the key question, what can I do about this right now? What is it within my power? So maybe it's uh, going to eat ice cream. Maybe it's um, reading a positive psychology book. You know, Martin Seligman, I always expect the best possible outcome until you hear differently. What's the best possible outcome? The best possible outcome is that uh, I'm going, you know, in, in six weeks, I'm going to be able to um, not come here anymore. So it's really about, it's, it's a neuroplasticity aspect of changing your brain, brain waves. Thank you. And, and uh, one more question is, when you're looking at logic and the science and the reality reality of what you're dealing with in the situation is adding humor and taking a minute to laugh and going and getting ice cream 
diminishing the logic, diminishing that reality. What's happening there? You're, you're functioning as an Aikido warrior. You are using the energy that's coming towards you. Instead of fighting it or denying it, you are uh, dancing with it. You're surfing with it. The, 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 the analogy I use sometimes is, is that the, the negativity, the cancer or the COVID or the breakup of the relationship is the big wave, the tsunami, and 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 you can ride it, and you you can humor is one way to ride it until you again. It, this may seem bad now, but we'll be able to laugh about this later on. We instinctively know that perspective gives us a different emotion, and so at that moment, we're changing our emotions from fear to joy. And then that has a body effect and a brain effect and a heart effect. And that gives us an option to make other choices. They may not be easy choices, but at least we have a choice. Thank you so much. That's amazing information. Jim Bob? Well, I think indirectly, you've already answered the question that I'm about to ask. But this is a question that the listeners of the podcast will have heard before. Uh, and I also use this in, in other venues. What's the one thing you want people to remember about what you teach or facilitate? What's the one thing you want them to remember on Thursday? I mean, you know, we go to a conference, we get all hyped up and excited about an idea or whatnot. And then sometimes you get lost in the tangle of what's happening in the week and it's Thursday. Yeah. What do you want, what do you want people to remember then? Friday will always come. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'd like them to remember from, from, from the experience is that the way they're thinking and being right now has uh, alternatives and to try something playful or humorous that has already happened to them. They don't have to make anything up. They don't have to be any more creative. They have the, the, that choice. So preparation, start preparing for the times you're not feeling that good uh, so that you can go to the symbol, the memento, uh, the, the, the song, the movie. Uh, you know, it, it, I have an activity that I'll, I'll share with you and, and, and the listeners that um, I'm going to ask you, uh, close your eyes and this is going to take 15 seconds. What are you grateful for? Just think about that to yourself. What are you grateful for? When you're ready, open your eyes and come back. Um, Katie, you don't have to say what it was, but give us the feeling. What was the emotion that you had during those 15 seconds? Oh, it's a closeness. All right. Closeness, um, intimacy. Uh, Jim Bob, what, what, what was the feeling that you had? Well, the feeling I had was kind of like uh, a shower. Let's just say that, you know, any yeah. tension I had about things that may be on my mind, it was kind of got rinsed away. Yeah. Okay. And it was difficult to pick what I was most grateful for. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a, yeah. A, 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 a multitude of riches. Yeah. Yeah, so so the, the point is that um, this was in your mind. So to your memory, an emotion um, is, is as real as the actual e event. So this is the, what I would like people to remember on Thursday is that stop, take 15 seconds, think of this question, what are you grateful for? Or 
take a souvenir, a memento that you have uh, stored away that nobody's going to see until you pass on. And then your family's going to put that stuff in the driveway and, and, and try to sell it for a dime. And the next day it's going to be on the curb with the sign says free, take this crap away. <laughs> but for you, it sparks real feelings. You're very powerful in these 15 seconds. That's what I want people to remember. And, and, and this goes back to Victor Frankl's work on some level, no matter what the situation at some level, all humans have a choice at any moment. They may not be easy choices, but we have a choice. So you have a choice to recall uh, something you're grateful for, something you were happy about, and bathe. I love that definition, Jim, but you bathed in that in that feeling. And that was a, that's a real feeling. Yeah, okay. I think the title of your next book should be The Power of 15 Seconds. Okay. <laughs> I like, you know, there's the improv game called 60, 30, 15. Yes. Where you play out the scene, 60 seconds, and then you do the same scene in 30 seconds, and then in 15 seconds, and then you go to five seconds. <laughs> and and uh, so, yes, I will, I will take that under advisement. What is the most important organizational alchemist thing you'd like to share with us and put out there with AATH and the world? It's not necessary to keep looking forward to create new moments of joy, happiness, laughter, and fun. You have that in your life already. So I would challenge you to go to your attic, your basement, your garage, your souvenirs, pull out stuff. You know how on Facebook you get these, this thing that seven years ago, Memento and stuff like that? Yeah. That's what you can do in your, for, your, for yourself. You know, and, and have those things handy. Have a picture of yourself. One of the things in the uh, uh, that I advocate is is um, have a picture of yourself laughing, um, and 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 so that you are visually or uh, however whatever sense you're able to do to have a connection with the joyful uh, the joyful you. Uh, have that 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 ability. You you can meditate and then take an extra fifteen seconds. Not just for what I'm grateful for. What am I joyous for? Who do I, I love ask yourself these questions and that changes your 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 internal chemistry so um you don't have to be funnier than you are you don't have to learn anything you already have everything you need it's a matter now of just putting it in practice so that you can access it and um izzy how do we say yes and to ourselves Objective behavior, discernment, uh, whatever you're saying to yourself, ask yourself, are you judging the behavior or are you observing it? And what choice might you make differently? And then how, what do you need to do to get started on that different choice? So it's, it's a cognitive behavior approach. Cognitive is the first place. Observe, discern without judgment or let that ju judgment go. We're all imperfect. You have a BA in psychology and a master's in education and a one third of a PhD. A P. I have a P. You have a P. <laughs> <laughs> and and you were a stand up and a public school teacher at the same time. And they did overlap. Yeah, yeah. I began as a teacher, and didn't really think it was going to be for me. I, I didn't want to become an administrator and and. I wanted always to be a stand-up comedian, so I studied it. So there was a time I did both. And for a while, I was teaching in, in, in public school in New York. I was going to stand up open mics, and I was teaching in Hunter College in the Graduate School of Education. And that's where I began to see 
the connection between humor and teaching where teachers did the, the students, the graduate students who came in once a week after field work, they didn't want to know so much about teaching, but how do I get along with the students, the parents, the school board, yeah. you know, all this other stress that's going on. And that's where I began to, because I was doing the humor thing, I go, well, you know, why don't you give your stress a name or let, 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 let's, let's call this, I hate the school board week. You know, it's like, <laughs> tell, tell, tell the truth. So I began to see the overlap and also the, the fact that teachers are remembered for being a little larger than life. We talked about the past and we talked a little bit about the present. Uh, what do you think the future is for <laughs> humor, applied humor, therapeutic humor, improv? The future of applied improv is, is, is large. I'm, I've just started working on um, uh, some work with coaches and I have this applied improv for coaches uh, work that's coming out. We, we do a lot on LinkedIn Live um, and we have a, a public program coming up on April 13th. So I, I'm uh, one of the things that came out of COVID was that people are really um, um, in tune with the possibility of, of, of improv. That's one of the futures. And I think people understand the importance of humor, even though uh, they may not want to do it themselves, but they understand a little more how to do it. Watch a lot of streaming, uh, all those comedians on Netflix. It's a real gift. Uh, first of all, you get to see what bad, what, what bad performance is. Yeah. But you also get to see some good stuff. So people people are now more used to uh, a wide variety. They didn't have that before. So uh, for both good and bad, you're exposed to much broader range uh, of humor. Okay, you've done a lot on LinkedIn, and yeah. I think you are, you are you are the master. You are the guru of. You know, reaching the audience through LinkedIn. It, it is. It is. Uh, it's. It's helped me in that um, I, I post a couple of times a week. I certainly uh, have a regular posting time on Tuesday mornings. I think a, a large part of the seven thousand or or so folks that I have are due to that. Um, and uh, you know, I have three courses on LinkedIn learning: one on humor, one on improv, and one on team building. That 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 is a main source also. Um, uh, of uh, of connection uh but linkedin linkedin is has been very helpful to me forcing me to write weekly the thing about a linkedin post it's limited to 300 words so there's a certain restriction again the creativity and the restriction and that's when i've been able to write about improv and humor a couple of weeks ago i had uh, uh two different uh, consecutive posts on tips and tactics on using humor uh, more and, and they each had like six, seven thousand, eight thousand views, which is a lot for me. Um, so people are interested in humor, so I'm able to spread the word. People are interested in improv um, because of the practicality. Most don't, most don't know how humor works. Most don't know how improv works. And when you can say to them, "Here's how you could use it in your life," or "Here's how it could help you," uh, oh, I didn't know that. I thought you always had to start every speech with a joke. No. You have to figure out where does humor fit in there and, and incorporate it. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Um, so that's, yeah, that that's one of the gifts um, getting from LinkedIn. So please join up, folks. There you go. And uh, uh, yeah, actually, oh, sorry. What'd you say, Jim? I was just saying, uh, Izzy has a course on humor at work. Take it. It's <laughs> great stuff. And, uh, 
why don't we get your uh, social media info and website info since we're talking about that? Can you list off how to find you? Izzyg.com, I-Z-Z-Y-G.com is the website. Uh, LinkedIn is my name, Izzy Gassell, G-E-S-E-L-L, as you will see. Uh, I'm starting to get a little more active and um, Twitter, it's at Improv Izzy. And I think the other ones are just are, are my name, but LinkedIn and uh, Twitter, because when you post on LinkedIn, it goes on Twitter automatically. Um, th those are the two. And I would love, you know, if people are interested, um, I do have a, a handout that I give out on how to recall and retell any joke you ever hear. So if somebody's interested in that, they can just, um, you know, uh, email uh, izzy at izzyg.com. I, I'd love to stay connected, answer any questions, or see if it could be uh, helpful. Very nice. And I want to thank you for that. I want to, uh, you have a quote on your website, humor, imagination, and playfulness are powerful resources for humans, helping us become more effective personally and professionally. And that sounds like a pretty good synopsis of your life theories. Yeah, yeah, I'm fortunate that that my quest for my own truth has led me to doing the things that are kind of fun and also that help other people. So I uh, people ask, oh, "Are you going to retire?" I go, "From what?" You know, uh, the challenge for me moving on. I've I've been to this, I just finished 30 years at the National Speakers Association, um, and with AATH, I was you know I, I was there uh, almost at the at the beginning. Uh, when Doug was there, the Journal of Nursing Jocularity, I've known Karen Buxman for um, uh, all these 30 years, um, that being able to have my own search and the work that I love to do be beneficial to other people, uh, there's no reason to retire from that. It's really a matter of reorganizing time and focus and spreading and the word. Yes. And uh, can you tell us how improv is the new mindfulness? Well, the the mi mindfulness is about staying present and focusing on one thing at a time. And it turns out that that's what improv is also. People think that improv people are, are they think fast and they're funny and they're smarter. It really is that they don't think very much at all. And they act and they act on what the structure of the game is. So in the game called One Word at a Time, which is a one word story that people build in sequence, all you need to focus on is the next word. You don't have to, if you start thinking a good word, bad word, help, hinder, I didn't like that, that slows you down. If it's your turn and you, and you go a bagel, that's it. Um, so in improv, that's called a point of concentration. What's the smallest bit of information I need to focus on in order to move forward towards my goal? In one word at a time, it's the next word. This is the the, the metaphorical equivalent of, of focusing on your breath. So in mindfulness, you're taught, okay, whenever you're distracted, go back to the breath. The, the breath is your point of concentration. In improv, the, the game of the structure of the game is your point of concentration. Um, so that that's that's something that I, I think is, is is helpful. And improvisers are always in the present. Right, because what I, I was going to say, too, in overwhelm, right, when we have a lot to do and a lot to get done and, and to focus on the end result, 
when you break it down to one task at a time, one piece of the task at a time, you so that overwhelm can go away. And then if you're improving through each task at a time, you've taken away the tension and you've gotten more present, become more present. So Yeah, so you go from overwhelmed to whelm, which is... <laughs> you don't want to go to underwhelm because that's no good. Overwhelm is no good. So it must mean that whelm is the, is, is the desired state, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it makes sense. It, it it makes sense to me Absolutely. and it, it, it really is all, all all about that that focus similar to uh people who teach you how to organize yourself priority do one thing at a time the um uh the pomodoro effect that 20 minutes you know put 20 minutes to just focus on it so it's not that different from mindfulness it's not that different from point of concentration it's a universal truth that multitasking is not that beneficial yeah also found that the uh, the Venn diagrams of improv with other uh, other disciplines, it's incredible. I, I haven't found anything that improv makes worse, <laughs> or yeah, anything that, that can't be improved with a more of a, with an improv mindset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. In fact, in the coaching, the applied improv for coaches work that I'm doing with with Angie Alexander. Uh, we used uh, the we came up with the Venn diagram of the applied improv for coaching is in the the overlap between improv, coaching, and facilitation. Uh, so as a coach, you become a facilitator, and you use the improv to build the relationships and your own personal abilities um, to stand out in in your profession. But you're right, Jim Bob. the 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 Venn diagram it shows the relevance. I, I guess the only thing of improv where I can't see uh necessarily helpful is if you're the person who draws the lane lines on an interstate if you drive that truck that makes the lines can't have oh yeah i'm gonna go over there no i'm gonna go over there <laughs> um, can you that would, um, be a, that would be a good a good suggestion for a sketch yeah, yeah, that's no a what if. Yeah, what if? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, can you tell us about your app? Yeah, uh, Improv for You has uh, ten games uh, that uh, you can that has the instructions for them, and you, it's free, and you can download it. And when you're at a party at a bar, uh, you can choose one of the games and play with your friends. Uh, this 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 game this project I'm working on now, Sponto Time, is an up is is a card deck that has the same principles. You pull some cards, they will give you prompts uh, for uh, a certain game, and then then you could play the game. So the app is one of the ways that I'm hoping to bring improv games to make it simple for people to participate and also know, and, and to know how to do it. And you never play the same improv game twice, so you can play these same 10 games over and over again, different people or even the same people. You're never the same person twice in that game. That's brilliant. And and how? what's the difference between Sponto Time and the app? The app is a downloadable. Sponto Time is going to be a, a, a deck of cards, uh, prompts. Uh, with uh, There's a video going to be, uh, you're going to be able to see the games played. Uh, we're videoing them. And... Um, it's going to be sold more as, as a game. It seems that 
card games, card deck games are very popular now. Uh, so I'm going to see how that would work. I'm working with a, a collaborator. And there's a website called The Game Crafter, I think, where you can actually, it's print on demand. You can you can upload your designs and uh, make, it, make it yourself. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And who's your audience for the games and for the app? You know, the audience is anyone who uh, is inspired to play more improv games and wants to have it handy and available. And the audience, you know, we haven't even thought of a specific audience. We'll market it the same way I market most of my work is just writing about it and getting people out. There's a certain, um, in the same way that I think yoga was maybe 30, 40 years ago, mindfulness was 10 years ago, you know, when Dan Goleman started emotional intelligence. There's there are certain things that meander through the universe that make sense because their timing is right. And I think the timing is right for this. So people are doing it anyway, uh, improvising, uh, humor, they're, they're, they're really drawn to needing more humor and fun. Science, the neuroscience uh, shows the, the importance of, of uh, play for neuroplasticity that uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. The brain stuff that I've been reading, and there are a couple of excellent um, podcasts. One is the Huberman Lab, and the other one, which is on NPR, um, The Hidden Brain. It's called The Hidden Brain. Uh, there's a lot of research that shows that these these concepts about humor, creativity, improv do affect different parts of the brain and that the brains can make new connections. So there's a certain neuroplasticity. I just was listening to a, um, a, a radio broadcast of a violinist who is undergoing a brain surgery where she asked her doctor if she could keep playing the violin during the brain surgery so the, the surgeon could see which parts of the brain were affected by her playing so they wouldn't go to that part of the brain so she wouldn't lose the ability to play. Oh. So there's just some amazing stuff going on. And and the exciting thing for most of us is that, that I could see is that uh, the more you play, the more you're able to develop these new neural pathways while you're having fun. And when you play, my theory is the way you play is the way you are in real life. Somehow as adults, we drop our act. We drop our shield when we're playing. And if we're competitive, we'll be competitive with a five-year-old playing goldfish. You know, we may not act on that competition, but we're going to feel it. Hey, they turned around. I could win. But, but, but if you can take the time and, and, and the courage to observe your behavior while you play, you will gain a big insight into how you relate to the rest of your life, relationships and work and so forth. So that's exciting for me. And, and being able to, to map those neural pathways, uh, the, the stuff being done with brain, you know, with brain uh, research, I think is as transformational as DNA was 20 years ago. It's going to change everything. You know, one of the things about getting cancer is that you feel obligated to educate people because they don't really know how to respond to you. Um, so uh, one of the things I noticed when I, I had prostate cancer, one of the things I noticed was that people tend to mix up the words prostate and prostrate. 
So they would say, oh, you have prostate cancer. I go, no, 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 it's prostate because it's my mission to educate people. Um, you had prostate cancer. No, 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 it's prostate. <laughs> Finally, after a while, being the improviser, I said, I just have to do a yes and I have to accept it. So one day somebody comes up to me and says, you have prostate cancer, right? I said, yes, I do. And now I can't lie down. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> and that does happen all the time. Yes, it does. <laughs> it, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, so it, it, more it, ways to yes and the situation and find humor in yeah, the everyday. And, and the example I, uh, of this when I do the cancer program is to point out that I'm, uh, we're not making fun of cancer. We're making fun of the human beings who have to react to it. And that's one of the points in the in the resilient caregiver. You bringing joy and laughter into your life for your own self care does not diminish the seriousness of the situation. It just it it just recognizes the truth about the way human beings are. So um, and, that's that's the important part. And the humor can be healing, right? The humor can be healing. If only that it stops the downward slide of negative thinking and and um, the depression and the seriousness and the helplessness. I mean, one of the functions of humor is to avert helplessness. If you look at humor during the Holocaust, it's very much or or any situation. But I, I've I've studied uh, humor in the uh, of the Holocaust, the Jewish humor. Uh, That's what I grew up with, but also. Uh, it, it's a wonderful connection to how oppressed people keep hope. I mean, wow. if, if you look you look at, at, at Afro-Americans, maybe it's, it's um, the, the music, but for a lot of the Middle East, uh, the, uh, the European uh, folks, it, it was it was humor because it's, it's the oral tradition. And uh, so there, there's a great story about um, in the 30s, these two Jews are sitting and reading a, a newspaper, and, and one of them notices his friend is reading the Nazi propaganda rag, Der Sturmer, and he says, how could you be reading that junk? That, that, that That's crazy. Why aren't you reading our paper that tells us about our lives? And his friend says, look, in this paper, we have all the money. We run everything. We're so powerful. This is the world I want to believe in. I read our paper. Things are terrible. Who wants to hear that, you know? So... <laughs> And very good very good so it's really about uh, you know humor in that case is about ho hopefulness yes yes wonderful i was uh, in a call earlier today i was talking with someone who uh, was someone who was uh, helped evacuate people from earthquakes and what she would do is she would tell jokes to the people as they were being transported to the uh they to the hospital and it's like well, you know, well why are you doing that it says well one thing it helps it helps the person because if I can get them to laugh, it get them. To, it will actually lower their blood pressure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The physical physical connection. Yeah, and it just floored me. Well, that's, that's the difference. I think one of the, the 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 missions we have in in our business, in our world, is to get people to understand that you're not laughing at the seriousness of the situation. You're laughing at the human condition. Yeah. In that situation, and most people don't get that. They think, well, you can't laugh at cancer. We're not laughing at, at, at cancer. We're laughing at, at uh, human beings yeah. and, and the reali reality of the situation. You know, um, so that's really what my program is about uh, for, for cancer survivors is putting in humor principles into my experience. 
and that's what I, I hope the caregivers would do uh, is is uh, put into, and that's why people need to understand how humor is structured. No. Um, that it's not just about jokes, that it's about recognizing incongruities, that the body will, you know, when you laugh naturally or you overhear something, that's funny, you know, and that that, that that's the connector. Even even just things you notice. But I, I bought a Hyundai a year, two years ago, I, a blue Hyundai. I never even thought about Hyundais very much. Now that I have a blue Hyundai, I can't believe how many blue Hyundais there are in the in the supermarket parking lot. I didn't know there were that many. It never occurred to me. So you know things like that. People get oh yeah, that, that's a smile, and that's that's all you need sometimes. Absolutely, wow. And um, again, congratulations on being on the other side. Thank and you. and uh, I'm so glad that this. Do you feel like the experience helped shape some of you who you became? during and after? I'm not sure. It certainly gave me a new topic to, to market. <laughs> um, uh, that's the yes and. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it shaped me in that it, forces, it forced me to look at things I ordinarily wouldn't look at. I was not the kind that would face those things. In fact, I, I had watchful waiting, which is a form of, of of, of prostate cancer, and I'm a procrastinator, so it took me two years from the time I was diagnosed till the time I actually had had some surgery. It to, to answer your question, and, and I'll have to think about that some more. I appreciate that. Uh, I think it was that it, it there are only so many things you can pay attention to, and once I started paying attention, I started noticing something, and and because I had this humor um, experience, I began to see where the humor might lie into it. So I would think that it, it was a, a, a yin and yang thing. My, my history helped me shape, help shape the experience and my experience helped shape uh, my, my life uh, about this. Thank you, Izzy Gessel, for being on Laughbox, for being a double, double, double guest. Paduskaraka barata baboom. That's uh, gibberish for, it's been a lot of fun. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved having this conversation with you both and everybody listening. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for episode 100 with returning guests, Izzy Gazelle and our hosts, Jim Bob Williams and Katie B. Thank you very much. This has been Laugh Box, brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Laugh Box is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. And we'll see you next time.